Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. Because, well, sex matters. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 81, and it is titled, Is Porn Addiction Real? This is going to be a deep subject. There are really strong opinions on both sides. We have a ton of notes here that we've prepared. So if you see us looking down at our at our uh, cheat sheets over here, it's okay, because we have a lot of good content that we want to share with you. And um, this episode was actually stirred from one of our listener, Ryan. So thank you, Ryan, for uh, reaching out with a good question uh, that helped us come up with this awesome episode today. And Ryan's question was about what are your thoughts on a nofap? Do you think it's healthy or not? And that's what started this whole rabbit hole that we went into. Yeah. So first, let's explain to people what nofap is. Absolutely. And before we explain NoFap, let's shout out to our sponsor for this episode. Let's give this shout out to Power and Mastery because this is for you, all the men out there, whether you want to have harder, stronger erections, whether you want to last longer or expand your sexual skills and move beyond your basic masturbation and actually learn how to take that to the next level. Power and Mastery will teach you that. So check it out at powerandmastery.com. You know, I, I just realized in this moment as you were reading that, um, that what you learn in Power and Mastery is directly relevant to what we're talking about today. And I won't go yes. into it right now, but when we get to the end about some of the sort of negative things that can happen, uh, Power and Mastery can help actually fix all those. So anyway, so let's talk about, tell our listeners what exactly NoFap is. Okay, so NoFap is technically a website and a community forum that serves as a support group for those who wish to avoid pornography and masturbation. And I was curious about where the heck does that name come from? And it comes from a slang term, fab, from like the manga thing. Um, and it's referring to the male masturbation, to the sound uh, of the masturbation, I guess. Yeah, basically, when a guy is masturbating, that's apparently the sound they think it makes. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, just to kind of sum up, uh, NoFap. NoFap believes that uh, porn addiction is real, and they believe that one of the ways to solve that is to not uh, look at porn or not masturbate. So, of course, this has been hugely controversial because, you know, the porn industry doesn't uh, agree with that and not everybody who studied it agrees with that. Um, but there are people that do agree with it. So it's, it's kind of a controversial issue. And we don't really want to focus too much on the NoFap movement. That's not really what this is about. But that question got us really into thinking about, okay, is porn addiction real? And if so... You know, what are some stats? What are some consequences? And we have our own personal experience because we've worked with quite a few clients and we have seen this issue come up over and over again. And so we'll get to that a little bit later about our personal experiences with clients. Um, but anyway, that, that's kind of how we got on this subject. Mm -hmm. So to answer Ryan's question, you know, hey, do you think it's healthy or not? I think that anytime you interrupt a negative pattern that has not 
good results for you, it's probably going to be healthy. <laughs> and so depending on where you stand in your life, when you start the practice of no fab and what your intentions are, and like it could create good results, but it all depends on your whys and on where you're at. So again, it's more of a case by case. One thing that I do find positive about the NoFap movement is the whole social forum that's on it. Because as you will see more um, when we go through this episode, the loneliness and the not belonging and the lacking connection can cause a lot of issues. So NoFap creates a forum, a place for men to gather together, to talk, to bond. And that alone in itself, I think, is probably the most powerful of the entire practice. Yeah. And we'll get to that more when we get a little deeper into addiction itself. Mm-hmm. Um, how that really factors in. But let's, so if we start with the question is, is porn addiction real? Mm -hmm. Like, is it actually a real thing that happens? Well, the people that say that it isn't real often refer to the fact that porn addiction is not listed in the DSM. And the DSM is an acronym. It refers to the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So it's kind of like the Bible in the health and mental illness you know, industry. Uh-huh. Now, I will state up front that even though something is listed in the DSM doesn't necessarily mean, in my opinion, that it's all that real. There have been things that have been listed in the DSM that the people who were responsible for getting them listed in the DSM later on said, you know, now that really shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So, but it is what the uh, psychological uh, world sees as the final decision. So what does the DSM say about porn addiction? Well, nothing. It's not listed in there at all, Mm -hmm. at least not in the most current um, uh, version. version. (laughs) The most current article I could find referencing it, I don't own a copy of the DSM, um, although one of my ex-girlfriends did. She's a psychologist, and she was always like, let's see if it's in the DSM. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I don't own a copy, so I just had to search on the internet, and in 2019, they were saying it still was not listed. But the people who do believe that porn addiction is real, will often cite a different manual, one that is used uh, internationally, the International Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, the ICD, is the international standard diagnostic tool for epidemiology, health management, and clinical purposes. It's maintained by the World Health Organization, and blah, 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 blah. We're going to skip through some of that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to bore you here. <laughs> yeah. So they actually list in the ICD something called compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And that includes a bunch of different things, one of which is porn. So some people say, well, just because in the U.S. the DSM doesn't recognize it, the ICD does. Mm-hmm. Sort of, not directly. So now we've shown you that there are two camps. Those who believe that it's real, those who believe that it's not. And you can find proof to um, correlate like both ideas, right? Where it's like, yeah. There's there's a truth bomb, right? It's like almost no matter what idea you have, you can find one person that has proof for it and one person that has proof against it. Exactly. (laughs) So that led us to want to go deeper into addiction. And there is a man who really does a lot of research around addiction and came up with 
some fantastic ideas around reframing really what addiction is. He's an expert in it. I'm going to let you pronounce his name because I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that it's Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay. So one of the first thing that Dr. Mate says is addiction is not a choice anybody makes. It's a response to emotional pain. Okay. Um, So I love that in terms of like, that means that there's something deeper underneath that you're trying to solve through the behavior. So let's go a little bit further there. He says that the addiction meets some essential human needs that weren't met in that person's life. Okay. All right. So now we're starting to understand that deeper. Now, he's also saying that an addiction is manifested in any behavior that a person finds temporary pleasure or relief in, but suffers negative consequences as a result and does not give up or cannot give up despite the negative consequences. Wow, that's that's big. And let's just add the last sentence before you come in, Kevin, that virtually, according to Dr. Um, Mate, virtually any area of human activity can become addictive, depending on the person relationship to it. Absolutely. I mean, that, wow. that, that's huge. And this is this is more cutting edge research on addiction mm-hmm. because the old research just used to say things like, well, it's because there's a physical addiction to the substance, like when it comes to alcohol or drugs. But mm-hmm. what the new research is really discovering is that there's a lot more to it than just that physical addiction. And that literally anything can become addictive because it really comes down to the person itself. And I love the way that, that uh, Dr. Mate put it, which is, is that, uh, uh, anything that a person finds temporary pleasure in but suffers negative consequences. So it got me thinking, like, I know, I personally know people who have suffered from other addictions that you wouldn't necessarily think of as things that you could become addicted to. Mm-hmm. So I just want to look up, like, a couple of examples of that. So, for instance, video games, right? There's There's no real physical substance that's going into your body that you can become addicted to. Do you have withdrawal symptoms when you don't hold the video game (laughs) thing in your hand? (laughs) Well, so I I just want to look up some numbers on video games. And one article I found stated that an estimated 72% of American households play video games and an estimated 9% of the 3,034 participants in this study showed signs of video game addiction. So 9% of the people that play video games show signs of video game addiction. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, Here's another interesting one. Workaholism. Mm. How How many of you know people who are addicted to work? Uh, how many of you are addicted to work? I, mean, <laughs> right? I know I've been at certain time in my life, not not on the long term, but I've noticed the effect when I focus on a project to get it done and that becomes my sole focus and I, I breathe, live, dream it. And it's like nothing else exists. And it's like, it's compulsive that you get up, you have to get it done, you have to do this. And 
I feel lucky that it was only for a short period of time for something specific that I was trying to accomplish. But I do know people who it's their lifestyle. Well, we know lots of people because being mm. entrepreneurs ourselves, we tend to hang around with these entrepreneur kind of circles and people. And we see these people that will work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And if you're not doing that, they're like, what's wrong with you? What kind of an entrepreneur are you? You know, so they're addicted to work. Now, according... Or, or you meet in, in like social circles and all they want to talk about is work. <laughs> yeah, that happens too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but according to some statistics that I did find when researching this is that workaholism affects an estimated 30% of the general population. Wow. 30%. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. So we've got video games, we've got workaholism, mm -hmm. um, social media. <laughs> this was an interesting one because, uh, and I find there's, there's probably uh, a reason for this and it's not just a coincidence. But when researching social media addiction, I found it very hard to find any studies or any relevant articles past about 2014, 2015, mm -hmm. which is interesting because social media is so much bigger now than it was in 2014 or 15. I'm guessing that there's been some suppression of that mm -hmm. data. Mm -hmm. But even with what I could find searching around, um, from back then, they were estimating 350 million social media users suffer from Facebook addiction syndrome. They even called it Facebook addiction syndrome. And that was just Facebook. I tried to find some more uh, recent numbers for Facebook, couldn't really find anything. I mean, obviously, maybe if I keep researching, I dig deep enough, I'll find it. But that wasn't really the focus of this show. I tried to find some good in, uh, numbers on Instagram and nothing current. It's all old stuff. But even at those old numbers, you're seeing massive amounts of people that are addicted to social media. So the point that we want to make here is if we're going to discuss a topic like is porn addiction real, especially when you have two camps very much entrenched in their, their thought of whether or not it's real, the absolutely not doesn't exist in the DSM, it's a fake thing, and then the absolutely it does and it's massively harmful camp, it's right? It's relationships yeah. and men's lives and women's lives, yeah. So, so again, <laughs> what is the answer? Well, they're kind of both right in a sense that... You're not necessarily addicted to the porn, but anything that you find temporary pleasure in that, that can have negative consequences can become addictive. And anything that you can't seem to stop, like that whole, like, you know, some of the clients that I've worked with where he's like, yeah, it's like two, three times a day. But then what he was noticing, and I think we'll go more in that later too, was for him, he was realizing that he was reaching out to porn when he felt anxiety. So that was a way to ease his anxiety or when he felt um, not really motivated. And so some of the things that we walked him through was like, hey, what are other activities that can lower your anxiety? Like meditations, like taking walks in nature, deep belly breathing. I mean, so many different things, you know, it has to be tailored for the person. And what are other things you can do to pick yourself up? And one of the rules that we put in place was also that... He was not to go on, um, watch porn or masturbate online with porn unless he was feeling good. If he wasn't feeling good, first he had to tend to that. Then, if he still wanted to, he would then get to porn. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I forgot one more on the list of things that I was researching that people can become addicted to that mm. you wouldn't think of. And this one I've personally experienced, not because I was addicted to it, but because I worked in the industry. And that's exercise. 
And exercise addiction is really a real thing. Mm. And, you know, in the stats that I found, they're estimating about 3% of gym goers uh, are actually addicted. Like they show signs of actual addiction. But those numbers ramp way up when you look at different uh, sections of the exercise population. So among sports science university students, that jumps to 7%, so it more than doubles. When it comes to runners, some research was showing 25% of amateurs qualify as exercise addicted. Oh, wow. With the prevalence doubling to 50% in marathon runners. And I, I trained with and I personally trained people who were into like triathlons mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I can tell you they're absolutely mm-hmm. exercise addicted. So just a few more things to kind of throw out there that, that addiction isn't so much about the thing itself. You know, excluding, you know, something that has a physical effect like, you know, a drug Mm -hmm. or, you know, even sugar or something like that. But outside of that, it's actually more of the person and what they gain from it. Like, you know, because a lot of people say, I exercise. So what's the big deal if you're addicted to exercise? Well, they've done studies that show that these people that do these excessive marathons all the time, they're actually not healthy Mm. because something is healthy for you to a point. And then past that point, it actually has a negative consequence. So you can actually over-exercise and harm your body mm-hmm. in, in some pretty serious ways, not just like you're worried your joints out or you have pain here or there. Like you can actually literally shorten your lifespan from over-exercising. Um, there's people that get addicted to water. Drinking too much water is a big problem mm-hmm. too because it'll flush all the, the minerals and vitamins out of your body and cause all kinds of deficiencies. And so if we go back to Dr. Matei and how he says... Anything that brings temporary uh, relief mm-hmm. and pleasure but can have a negative side effect is something that you could potentially become addicted to. So then the question is, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm leading you into the next part here, is, is what is it about porn that makes people addicted? Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to get to the part where we also reframe some of those words and, and see how we're going to say that. But right now, let's look at what this could act as a cover-up for something much deeper. So people could be medicating their depression and anxiety, just like the client I mentioned earlier that was self-soothing practices there. People can be acting out um, a hostility that they can't let into their consciousness. Or, you know, they could even be experienced like not just the hostility, but also maybe the fantasy or some sexual things that they might think is deviant or out of the norm or whatever that they're judging. It could be an um, arousal disorder. It could be something around a denial of a disturbing sexual preference or orientation. Again, like not owning your kinks or what you like. It could be a fear of getting too close to a primary partner. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of because that has been the experience for some couples where the woman's like, he's choosing porn over me. And so uh, ultimately it's not porn, it's his fear of intimacy, really. That's the issue and that's what we need to tackle. But anyway, let's move on. Um, It could be a recurring sexual dysfunction with a partner. It could be inadequate attraction to or even have unspoken resentment towards a primary partner. I mean, these things are real. These things are deep. And some people are very 
um, not comfortable bringing these to light. So they'd rather like put this band-aid or use porn so that they don't have to feel or um, acknowledge or act on what's truly going on because that's painful or that can be scary. I mean, especially if you are in a committed relationship and you lost the attraction, I mean, how do you go and say, I'm not attracted to you anymore? Like you're like, maybe it's easier to just have watch porn to get me going so that I can still have sex with you when we have to have it. And so I see why people would choose that at certain time, but ultimately, um, and 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 by the way, I want to I want to I don't want to I want to bring in somebody new here in the equation. It's Marty Klein, uh, who's a sexologist and um, really author of books. I mean, really fascinating man. And what he says is that no one lives a vibrant, intimate marriage in order to consume pornography. Most married porn users are in positive, satisfying marriages. Others are in unsatisfying marriages caused by depression, anxiety, selfishness, poor communication, alcohol, abuse, or conflicts about parenting, money, religions, in-laws, or sex. I mean, you name it. And he says, as documented by the Bible, the Greeks, the Quran, and Shakespeare's, people have had marital problems for these non-porn reasons since ancient times. Oh, shocking. Yes. <laughs> and so I love what he's saying. Like... <sighs> Maybe it seems like it's porn who's doing that's doing that, but it's really it's not it's not the cause, it's the symptom. The causes are all these other things underneath, the depression, the anxiety, the resentment, the fears, the disconnect, all of that are the true cause that then push people towards having compulsive behavior. Yeah, and like anything else, it can be used therapeutically. Mm-hmm. And it can destroy you. Mm-hmm. Give somebody too much of a medication that's supposed to cure them and it'll kill them. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very similar here. There are actually circumstances when doing coaching work with people around sexuality that you could use porn as a therapy. Absolutely. And there are times in which, for instance, when we're working with uh, men who have premature ejaculation, mm-hmm. one of the common things that we see with those people is that they masturbate frequently to porn, which then trains them to ejaculate quickly. Mm-hmm. And so in a case like that, we would tell them, we would recommend that they uh, temporarily stop porn until they can retrain their body again to function the way that it should. So... It can go either way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've already done episodes on porns and stuff, but I, I want to mention that again in case you haven't listened to our episodes on porn before. And remember that porn is not a place for education. Porn is entertainment. It's fiction work. And it's just if you view it as entertainment, it's a very different experience. And also remember that you don't have to masturbate to watch porn. You can just watch porn for the sake of watching porn. Like they don't have to go together. And that's maybe is one of the issues that happens for most people who choose to masturbate to porn is that when they do that, they put all their power outside of themselves to something out there and they have no more connection to their body. They don't know how they're moving their body, how they're breathing, where they are on their arousal scales or anything, and they lose that connection with themselves. And that truly is where the problem lies. It's not in fact that they're watching porn, it's in the fact that they're not connected to what they're doing. It's like you can't be doing it well. Like, like multitasking is a myth you can only do one thing at a time so to pick you masturbate or you watch porn you don't do them together 
Yeah, we'll talk more at the end about some of the negative side effects that we have personally seen with clients who use too much porn, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Okay. So there was a few things too that I wanted to add from uh, Marty Klein that he was um, bringing into light. Um, and his opinion was that none of the hallmarks of true addiction are found with pornography use. Okay. So this includes the needs for increased dosing over time because of tolerance, a measurable change in the body's response to the substance, and awful withdrawal symptoms when the substance is decreased or removed. You don't find that in the porn addiction, um, really, that, that is happening. The concept of biological addiction to pornography has been rejected by professional groups, in, like, like lots of groups, basically. Now, one of the things that this leads us to is another study uh, by uh, Joshua Grubbs. And basically... <laughs> What the summary of that study, which was done in 2015 and studied like thousands of people, is that seeing oneself as a porn addict was uh, predicted not by how much porn one views, but by the degree of religiosity and moral attitude towards sex. And that people who believe themselves to be porn addict need help with understanding what their use of porn means, you know. Can we just go yes. back to that first part that you yes. talked about? Yes. Which was uh, showing that seeing oneself as a porn addict was predicted not by how much porn one views, but by the degree of religiosity yes. and moral attitude. So basically what that's saying is it's all relative. In it other is. words, if you're a deeply religious person, you could watch just a little bit of porn and you would consider yourself a porn addict. Yes. Or you could maybe not be religious uh, or have different, you know, moral standards, and watch a ton of porn, and think I just love sex. There's, there's nothing. There's no addiction there. <laughs> I have a healthy sexuality and healthy sex drive. <laughs> so, but here's the thing: if we're talking about is something truly addictive, we have to have an objective measure, mm-hmm. and we can't have it be subjective based on your religion or your morals or your whatever. And I think that's partly why this debate keeps going back and forth with both sides is there's no way to really objectively measure mm. whether or not this is actually addictive, at least not that we found in our research so far. I don't know, maybe we have some people in the industry uh, listening who are like, yes, there was a study. Okay, let us know. That would be interesting. Okay, I want to share about what they found, though, again, at this uh, this study by Grubbs. They were saying that by telling people that their use of porn constitutes a disease, they are promulgating suffering and anxiety, instilling into people that their use of pornography means that there is something wrong with them and that this use has potentially dire consequences. Yeah, th- this is the reverse placebo effect, mm. right? So yeah. this is one of those things, and, and we, this has been well documented in medical science. Like the, even during um, the big HIV crisis, they found that just simply giving people the diagnosis of being infected with HIV, their health immediately declined and they died. So it's a similar thing here, whereas when somebody goes out and gets a diagnosis of being a porn addict, all of a sudden that then causes all of this anxiety and depression and other negative symptoms shame. that come with it. Yeah. And so basically what that means is uh, using the, 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 the term porn addiction is a term that we don't use in our practice. When people come and tell us, oh, I'm a porn addict, I'm like, okay. Okay, what does that mean to you? And then we break down, how do you use porn? Why do you use porn? What are you trying to get through that 
usage. And this is really how we can dive into the real cause of it and not just stay on the surface. And the more you will go around diagnosis people, labeling them as porn addicts, the more you are going to shame these people and continue enforcing something that's not working. And it's not helping. It's not helping you if you are the person who is in the relationship with that person. It's not helping them to see themselves as successful. I'm not saying like, hey, don't look at it and bury your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. But like, don't give this shitty diagnosis half asses just because you're judgmental of their ways of doing sex. Maybe acknowledge that, wow, you've got a really different sex drive and I can't really relate. Or since you've been focusing so much on watching sex with other people, I don't feel connected and intimate with you anymore. Like this is more real than saying, oh, you porn addict, you, oh, poor me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about our personal observations and experience mm-hmm. with porn and its potential negative side effects. So I have had, even before I started doing this work as actual, like legit work, um, I would have male friends come to me and ask me questions about, well, you know, how can I last longer? And you know, I want to get better. And every time that we would start to go down that road, we would always find at the bottom of a bunch of layers of stuff that they would spew out <laughs> is that they had a porn addiction issue. I mean, almost every time that was the case with all of these guys that would come to me. And so we would start talking about, okay, well, you know, how long can you last? And blah, blah. and then eventually you'd get down to well, yeah, you know, I, I, I masturbate like every day to porn. And what I found is that was a big contributor to the premature ejaculation that they were experiencing because, and we've given you stats on this before, like how long the average person watches a porn video. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like a couple of minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why these, these uh, sites that have just short little clips are so popular because most guys don't get more than a couple minutes into it. And the problem with that is, is that you, you put on a super uh, hyper-stimulating porn video um, and then you start masturbating and then two or three minutes later you ejaculate and you're like, done, close the computer. Okay, I'm out of here, you know. But if you do that enough over time, you are literally training your body to ejaculate faster. And so that's definitely one of the negative side effects that I've seen uh, some men have with porn use. Another one is a loss of desire for sex with actual humans. And, you know, it's an interesting one because as I was reading this, I thought, well, I also see a loss of desire for connecting with human beings just by being online. And so it's not just with pornography. I think it has to do with this whole online world that we've created, where people have such a hard time now looking and ever being in, uh, in their eyes, like in being with somebody. And somehow... I don't know, it it shields you when you're behind a screen. And whether it's through watching porn, whether it's through being on social media, on hundreds of different forums or whatever it is, the lack of interaction with other human beings starts to be very evident. And your inability to really connect can be reinforced by that. And then the whole thing too about, sorry, I'm going to do one more thing, is... 
remember expectations <laughs> we did a whole episode on 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 expectations and if you only look at at things that's not real like we mentioned earlier porn is fiction but you think that this is real life you're in for quite a surprise with reality it's not going to match up the expectations and the the whole scenarios that you've created in in your head yeah and that's basically exactly what i was going to share next is that the other thing that we find a lot is that and, and this actually really factors in um, with the men who are experiencing ed mm-hmm. part of what happens uh, if they reach that level of you know quote unquote porn addiction is that they're used to seeing these, uh, and I'm going to say women because I'm, I'm primar- primarily talking about men right now, but it's not only men, you know, who are watching porn with women. It can go the other way around just more as much. More and more women are watching porn. But you're seeing these exaggerated bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Giant boobs, uh, giant penises, you know, super skinny waists, like all these, you know, perfect this, perfect that. <laughs> and you're seeing them do things that... Well, really, this is not most people's experience in real life. And that's Mm -hmm. why we say it's entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. It's fiction. Mm -hmm. But the problem comes in is when you watch lots of that and then you go to your real life scenario and you're kind of like, oh, there's wrinkles and cellulite and they're a lot smaller, it's a lot smaller, or oh my they God, don't you scream like that. I have or... to give some foreplay or attention or affection before I put it in. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem is that the real experience doesn't match the the fantasy experience mm-hmm. that they have when they're mm-hmm. in porn, and that's that's where a problem can come in. And so they find themselves you know, in the bedroom with their partner not being super turned on because it's not what they're used to seeing. And... A last thing that happens with heavy users of porn, see, I'd rather say heavy users and porn addicting or stuff like this, is a decreased sexual pleasure during actual sex. And the reason is exactly what I explained earlier, because you've totally disconnected yourself, you desensitized yourself because you're always watching on the outside and you're not connected with what's happening inside. Then if you're not tuning in, you have no idea where you are on your pleasure. And then it makes it really hard to feel things. And that's another thing that we deal with, especially that I work with uh, hands on with my clients that have lost sensations ability to feel anything like you mean you're touching me and i'm like yes i'm touching you and like they they don't even feel it we have to reconnect these like different nerve pathways in their bodies for them to start to feel things again and that's that's really what's happening there yeah and so so those are some common things that we see that are potentially negatives if you use porn too much or you use it in the wrong way. But to be fair and as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it can be used in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely times where maybe a couple they they've kind of lost a little bit of that spark, maybe they need a little help getting in the mood. You know, watching a little bit of porn can then suddenly get them super jump started and mm-hmm. then they they tackle each other, you know. Yeah, it can help them have deep discussion that creates intimacy because they're witnessing a scene, something they haven't done, or they could watch something they're thinking about doing, like a threesome. I mean, there's so many things. Well, sure. And that's that's another good point, too. Is uh, We've talked about this many times, especially in our uh, episode about uh, fantasy versus reality. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we talked about in that uh, 
episode was that, and this is true a lot for women, but it, it could be true on both sides as well, is that a woman might fantasize about something, but that doesn't mean she actually wants it to mm-hmm. come true. But say using porn could be a way that you could experience that thing you're fantasizing without actually doing it. For instance, the threesome is the great idea, mm-hmm. right? So some women, you know, I mean, men love threesomes, women love threesomes, but not everybody loves threesomes. And so a woman might be fantasizing about having a threesome, but at the end of the day, she doesn't really want her man to fuck somebody else, mm-hmm. right? And so one potential way uh, would be to watch a threesome in porn, and, mm-hmm. and that can kind of simulate the experience without actually having to do it. So there are positives and negatives. Mm-hmm. And it's not as simple as, yes, it's evil or no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's really all in how you use it. And yes. it's really up to the person itself and what they're trying to get from it. Yes. And so if you come from a place where you're healthy, where you get your needs met, where you know how to self-soothe and you just want to enhance your life, this will have benefits for you. If you come from a place where you traumatize, you're carrying deep shame, you have all these hang-ups, this will only increase whatever is already there. So be very aware of where you're coming from. And so to tie it all the way up as we are ending this episode to Ryan's question about the no fab, some of the things that they do recommend is to turn off porn, to stop masturbation. And it's like you go out, socialize, you exercise, you feel your body differently, you probably start to eat better. I mean, these are all different things that will make your life better. So I see a lot of benefits through that. And you should be doing that anyway, whether or not you watch porn. Yeah, whether you're <laughs> masturbating or not. You know, we talked just a little bit about some of the newer uh, studies, but one of the big things they're finding with addiction is that one of the primary things that causes addiction is lack of connection. Yes. There's a great TED Talk out there. I don't remember who, who gave it, but you can go find it. Yes. And they're really, they're really finding out that addiction is often the result of a lack yeah. of connection, trying to make up for that lack of connection. So go find real connection connect with yourself connect with others and that's really the the beauty in life that's really what matters all right there you have it (laughs) all right everybody that's all the time we have for this episode and we will see you next week We hope you liked this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoyed this show, leave a comment and share it with your friends. And if you want more, we have an entire digital library with the best sex tips and relationship advice at CelineRemy.com. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y.com. So join us in the sex vault to continue this adventure. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing.